You'll take your Bible. We'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. 1 Corinthians 12. We're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And, and last week when we started chapter 12, we found this twofold test for how to go about thinking of our spiritual gifts. Test number one, does my spiritual gift point to Jesus Christ or, or do I use it to exalt myself? Test number two, is my spiritual gift used for the common good in the local church? Or am I somehow using it simply to serve myself? And those two tests are really grounded in our redemption. We are not saved from our sin and ourself into a new kind of individualism. In other words, when we come into Christ, we're not new individuals. We're a new creation connected to something greater. In that way, we're saved into one body. Jesus himself is the head, and we, you and I, the individual members, are parts of that body. And so let's read chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. We'll read through verse 31, which is the end of that chapter. We believe the Bible is God's word written. It is the only infallible rule for faith and practice. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is God's word. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would attend to the preaching of your word. 
Father, would you grant to us that spirit so that that your people would have ears to hear what your spirit says to the church? And would you be willing to use a sinful, crooked stick like me to point the narrow way to Christ Jesus? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is with Christ. That's what he keeps saying. Now students of history will tell us that there's an ancient fable that, that was told by one of the emperors during the Roman Empire. And he tells it as a way to bring together the people of Rome. The fable goes like this. The various parts of the body began to watch with jealousy at the ease with which the stomach seemed to get along. And that is, from their perspective, the other parts of the body watched the job of the stomach and they said, well, all all he does is enjoy the food that we feed to it. And so the body parts got tired of watching the stomach simply live this life of luxury. And so, in a fit of jealousy, the parts of the body banded together against the stomach. We will not feed the stomach. And so, one by one, as the stomach starved, so did the various parts of the body. And various portions of the body began to shut down and eventually the entire body died. All from a plan hatched in jealousy. Now the fable connects with this passage because they're both based on the same common ancient illustration. This is a really well-known illustration throughout history. And the body, says Paul, is made up of individual parts So it is with Christ. And so as we studied the first part of chapter 12, we we saw this command. Your spiritual gifts are meant to promote a kind of unity in the midst of, of all the diversity that exists within the body. I want to show you when you look at this passage that there's a there's a distinction between an argument for and an argument from. So the Apostle Paul is not arguing for the concept that the church is, in fact, a body. He says it is. Many members, one body, Jesus is the head. This is an argument from. An argument from the concept of the body to say, this is how you must live in view of this one body concept. You don't have to envy what other people are doing in the church. You don't have to grieve that your gifts are not good enough. You don't have to look down on others that their gifts are not as useful or important as yours. It is Jesus' body, he says. It's the church. And you, individually, have one spot in that overall body. And so the point of the passage is, is really simple. Christ redeemed you into one body. Three points this morning. The inferior, the superior, and the excellent. And so we'll start with the inferior. As I talked through this text today, I'm going to reference two different kinds of envy that I think are present here. And the first is this envy of the inferior. There is, I think, in all of us a, a latent temptation to compare ourselves with others. And if we compare too long, we'll ultimately come to the conclusion, well, I'm not as useful 
as somebody else in the church. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now the concept is, is simple enough. Members. But you and I live in a world where the word members has been so hijacked that it seems plain. It seems like it comes with almost no value. Members of the country club, members of the Screen Actors Guild, members of the Foreign Press Corps. I don't know who these people are. One scholar decided he's going to redeem the word members so that people could catch the weight of this particular passage. And so he kept translating it limbs and organs to make sure that his readers understood the actual body parts of Jesus himself. Do you know how important this was to the Apostle Paul? Acts chapter 9. Paul is walking, this man named Saul is walking on the road to Damascus. And he meets the risen Lord. And the risen Lord says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In what way was Saul persecuting Jesus? I mean, Jesus was already ascended into heaven. So how could Jesus say, you're persecuting me? He could say that because he's talking about his church, the body of Jesus Christ. And so I wonder as Paul writes this passage, as one who once was Saul and has tasted of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, does he not remember this concept of the one body? So it is with Christ. And I saw sought to rip off the arm of Jesus. I sought to crush the foot of Jesus. I sought to gouge out the eye of my Lord. And so if the metaphor is the body of Christ, you can understand why this would be really significant to Paul. Why would it hurt him to see one limb stick a knife in the foot? Not literally, but but spiritually. And that's really where the church in Corinth was. No concept of the, of the body of Christ. And this cannot be. Because verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. The most important word in that particular verse is the word All. That's the answer to the issue that's going on in Corinth. It's not the word baptized. It's not even the word spirit. Those words are meant to communicate what's happened in salvation. Where Jesus joins you and I, individual sinners, into his mystical body, the church. Do you remember verse 1, back at the very beginning of this chapter? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Verse 13, all of you have been baptized into Christ Regardless of ethnicity, regardless of station in life, all of you were made by God's grace to drink of that one Holy Spirit. You've all been saved. That's all he's saying. And there are two simple words that are repeated throughout the New Testament to drive home this concept that you are not the individual, that you are not alone. And those two words are in Christ, in Him. And Paul repeatedly uses that language. You're not saved into spirituality 
You're not saved into Christian beliefs. And you get better as you get more Christian beliefs. You're not even saved into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You're saved into Christ. That's an answer to the American self-centered individualism that pervades in our culture. Can I show you why that matters? Because that means that you have a righteousness that cannot be ever tainted because you are in Jesus. In God's eyes, you are in Christ. That means you have a purity that cannot be lost. In God's eyes, you are in Christ. You have a perfection that cannot be spoiled. In God's eyes, you're in Christ. But it also means that no one in Christ could ever be inferior to someone else in Christ. But some people at the church at Corinth felt that way. They felt it because they had certain spiritual gifts that they were thereby more useful to the church. As if spiritual value is measured by functional role that you play in the body. The modern Pentecostal movement cites this verse as if it's a testimony about a second giving of the Holy Spirit after salvation. And so the doctrine is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Which is in fact the exact opposite of what this text means. Do you belong to Christ by faith in Him? Then you have already been baptized into Jesus. By His one Holy Spirit given to you the first time to last all time. And there is no second giving of the Holy Spirit. There's no second bigger manifestation of a new spirit. And you see, don't you, that everywhere you would see this false doctrine, you also see the very thing that the Apostle Paul sought to address. Someone who has that gift thinks they're superior to other people. And they look like they're so grand. And the person who has that gift feels a sense of superiority to those who don't have that gift. The body of Christ is one, says Paul. And so all of these limbs and organs have extreme value. There's no one inferior. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say to the hand, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And so the example comes like you and I are the ones sitting as the foot looking up from an inferior position. The foot to the hand, the ear to the eye. And so here's this sandal in a dust-ridden climate. It's, a, it's simply a, a limb of utility. And while the hand is manicured and cared for, not mine, but that foot is forgotten. The ear It's a strange lump of cartilage. And so when you're looking a person in the face, the first thing you notice is those eyes and color. And you look in those eyes and you go, wow, 
But nobody comes around to the side and even notices the ear. And you see why these are the selections. Two parts of the body that can go unnoticed. I wish I had the gift of hospitality. Like Sally. I wish I wasn't an introvert. I wish I was an extrovert like Tim. I wish I could teach adults like Steve. I wish somebody would notice what I've been doing in the church. The way others get noticed. Paul says, just because you envy someone else's gifts does not mean that you are a less important member of the body. And this is the kind of envy that looks to the right or looks to the left and it says, well, I'm just not really as useful as the other parts. And then verses 17 through 20, Paul draws the picture of a, of a hideous monster. All ears, all eyes. You envy the eye? Well, if everybody is an eye, then you have a deaf body. If everyone is an ear, you have a body that can't smell. And thankfully, says Paul, that's not the way it is in the church. Verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. I wonder, friends, are you going to be okay if God has the right to arrange the parts of his body precisely as he wants to arrange them? Am I going to be okay? If the Lord intends that I would be a really useful foot. You ever catch yourself perhaps thinking that you're looking at someone else? Perhaps thinking that what you're doing is envying another person? But really what you're doing is not staring at yourself, but basically saying, you know, this... This isn't enough. This isn't useful. This image bearer of God, redeemed by Christ, the spiritual gifts that God has chosen to give to me, it's not very sufficient to be used anywhere in the church. And when you look around and envy the gifts of other people, you almost always think that you're indicting yourself, but the Bible says you're indicting God. The one who arranged the members in the body precisely as he wanted to arrange them. Christ redeemed you into one body. Into the body of Christ. The ear is no less important than the eye. And likewise the ear who feels sorry for himself because he's not an eye. Who won't come to church because he's not an eye. He actually doesn't just hurt himself. He hurts the whole body. That's the inferior. Now take a look at the superior. I told you there's two different kinds of envy on display in the passage. The first is the envy of the inferior. The temptation to compare yourself with others as if you are of no use to the church. But the second is the envy of the superior. And this is a kind of competitive envy. So instead of seeing myself as a member of the whole body, blessed to be, to be a part, built up by folks with other gifts, Perhaps you consider your own gifts the more vital in the church. And the superior refuses to recognize that God has gifted others with necessary gifts for the overall good of the people. 
Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. On any given Sunday, there are people who arrive at this church about an hour and 45 minutes before you get here. Usually about an hour before I get here. And they set up equipment and they set up wires and they set up devices that I can't even really understand. Somebody else comes and they set up signs outside so that people know where to park. Someone else has created these bulletins and all of that before I even arrive. And when I arrive, another person puts water on the podium. And I need that. Someone else sets up the the Lord's Supper so that we get to partake of the sacrament of the Lord Jesus Christ together. Others are outside opening the doors and they say hello to people because they use these gifts of hospitality to welcome members and, and guests. There's people in the nursery who not only are willing to use their own service, but are doing it for the sake of the little children in the nursery and also for the sake of you. There are countless people that are using spiritual gifts in the church to make sure that I stand in front of you to use the one or two spiritual gifts that God has given to me. Just so that distractions could be removed. Is that because... I'm the one guy in the whole church that has a really important gift. Not at all. It's because the body functions best. When the members of the body, the the limbs and the organs say, I want to work for the common good, verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now he doesn't say they're, they're a useful addition to the body. He says they're indispensable, meaning nothing functions unless those parts are in place. My dad would agree with that statement. He was diagnosed with diabetes when he was nine. And from there forward, he began to try to take care of himself his entire life. He he watched what he ate and he exercised. But many of you know diabetes affects circulation to the feet. One day he woke up and had a tiny little sore on his pinky toe. And he didn't notice it. It had been there for a while and eventually it resulted in amputation. But I mean, what does the pinky toe do anyway? I mean, what does it do for the foot? Well, it balances the foot. And therefore it balances the entire body. And if the pinky toe's not there, then the other toes have to do a job to pick up and carry the weight of the body. And then you have to buy these extremely awkward, difficult, orthotic shoes to try to keep your balance. And eventually, those other four toes that are holding up the weight of what the pinky toe was a part of begin to give way. And so it is. And my dad near his death, could barely walk with a walker 
and far less toes. The pinky toe is, is crucial to the body. And if the pinky toe is crucial to the body, what gifts do you have that are in fact vital to the function of the local church? Does it make any sense for the more visible parts of the body that that stand in front to look down or to neglect or to stand in superiority over those less publicly seen gifts, I would be a fool to think so. If you came here on a Sunday morning and there were no other people using any other gifts, then I would not be standing with anything else around me and you would not even really hear me. And I say all that because... Paul says those parts of the body that are not seen. And then he uses this illustration, the bathroom parts, the bedroom parts. They're endowed with a special honor because they're covered. And so just as we give special honor to those parts that are covered, those parts of the body that are more visible should have the same kind of honor for those parts that are not visible in the local church. And that's essential in Corinth and it's essential at Christ's prayers because, look at verse 25, That there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Spiritual gifts in every form are given to promote unity. And it might help you to know that that the, the people at Corinth are asking a question about spiritual things. They're asking about pneuma. And they're mostly really asking about the gift of tongues. Because some people had elevated that gift above other gifts. And Paul answers them, not by telling them about pneuma, but by telling them about charisma. From the Greek word charis, which means grace. What does that matter? Well, they're asking, how, do I be, how can I be spiritual in the church? And he says, well, it's actually because God gifts you with grace. One group looking down on those who do not have the exact same gift of grace. Paul says God is the one who gave you those spiritual graces. And as he does with all other graces, if you truly believe that all grace, including the spiritual graces, come from God, then there is no room for superiority. Spirituality is... Grace given, which is why it never divides the church. It always unites. Therefore, the unity that we share in the body of Christ is seen in both honor and suffering. Look at verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so in the human body, if the pinky toe is hurting, the head and the hands don't go, (laughs) pinky toe is hurting. The head and the hands rush to the aid of the the part that's hurting. Because pain in the, in the toe is pain in the body. And likewise, I'm going to borrow this from the 4th century bishop of Constantinople. When the head is crowned, the whole man is honored. And so if you want to understand spirituality, if you want to understand the gifts given by God's grace to His church, to the individual members... The Bible says that those who have less public gifts must never feel inferior to those who have public gifts. Those who have public gifts must never look down on those with less public gifts. Two different kinds of envy. 
both divisive, both destructive to the body of Christ. The first is the envy of the inferior, the temptation to compare yourself, to conclude, well, I'm really of no use to the church. The second is the envy of the superior. Competitive envy. It says, my gifts are more important to the church than your gifts. Therefore, I'm worthy of greater honor than you. And so if you're a competitive person by nature, you need to be extra attentive to the heart danger. When it comes to to functional value in the church, every attempt to build yourself up might be accidentally used to tear others down. Paul says you can't build yourself up and exalt your own gifts or your own person without doing divisive damage to the overall body of Christ. Christ redeemed you into one body. The inferior, the superior, the excellent. That's where we'll close. Verse 27. Now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. I I don't know if you noticed, that's stated exactly the opposite of the way that Southern American Christians often live. The vast majority of modern church goers see themselves first as individuals. And secondly, well, I guess I'll be a member of a local church. Where does your sense of identity come from in the local church? Does it come from your union with Christ? Does it come from what you think you could do for the church? Does your identity, and this would be the right answer, does your identity flow out of being loved by God through Jesus Christ? And then does it flow to the body of believers because I am first loved by Jesus Christ, therefore I'm delighted to use my gifts of service wherever they could be used. Where does all of this take us? I'm not saying that this is a rampant problem in our church. I think Paul's saying it's a natural temptation of the human heart. And so over 15 years of ministry, I've, I've watched people who've decided to leave a local church or, or stop attending regularly because they did not get to use their personal gifts in the way they wanted to use them or they were not being seen or noticed. It's sort of like venom. Like you've been bitten with the bite of bitterness. And the anti-venom to this bitterness is to see yourself first and foremost as a treasured, valued member of the body of Christ, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is and His active work of bringing you into His body. And then next, Paul lists these various gifts. I want to remind you that in A.D. 54, nobody had a copy of the Bible sitting in their lap as you do. Books are really rare. And so the time of Christ's ascension, the church began to be built on the testimony of the apostles, Jesus' first twelve disciples, and then the apostle Paul. Look at verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? 
The, the, the list is important in the first three. Because those are all word and doctrine based gifts and they were given to spread the word of God at a time when there was no Bible in the lap of the people. And so that ordering is deliberate. I know that because Ephesians 4.11 does the exact same thing. Some people had Old Testament scrolls only if they were wealthy. But most people did not have access to a written word and they certainly didn't have the, the New Testament written. And so God uses the first 13 apostles to connect the Old Testament scriptures to the resurrected and ascended Christ. He's Messiah. He's Lord. And then he uses teachers to explain in the local context the substance of that same message. God literally gifted some to explain and dive deeply into the reign of Christ. And then he lists these other several gifts some of which are used to verify the message like miracles and healing. Others are used to prop up the message like helping and administration. And then lastly, he mentions tongues, which he put in that last spot on purpose because that's the one gift that the people in Corinth thought should be in place number one. And so from that place of superiority, some began to swell up we get to chapter 14, we'll see that tongues were never random babblings of nonsense, as they are often thought of today. There were always known languages in the Bible, and they were meant to repeat the basic doctrines of the apostles for people who spoke different languages. So that substance of what the apostles gained from the Lord Jesus Christ was passed down and down and down through different cultures and different languages and tongues. Verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I'll show you a still more excellent way. If you want to understand that verse, you have to understand what the Apostle Paul's been doing in the whole letter. He's trying to reorient what it means to be spiritual. And he's just reordered the gifts, and he put tongues at the very end, at the very bottom of the list. So Paul's not saying you should desire the gift of tongues. Here's what I think most people get confused on in this verse. He's also not saying you should desire to be a prophet or a teacher. Instead, he means that the only excellent way to use the spiritual gifts that God has given to you is not to be envious of someone else's gifts or to dangle your gift over someone else and look down on others. The only excellent way is to to vote yourself to the use of that gift in a spirit of love toward the whole body of Christ. That's how chapter 12 connects to chapter 13, the great love chapter of the entire Bible. 1 Corinthians 13. And it's rooted and exemplified in Jesus Christ, the great lover of sinners, who acts this way. So Paul says, that's the way you and I should also live. 1 John 4, 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so, friends, the sacrament that we're about to Enjoy is a physical picture of the head who gave himself for the body 
in this excellent way of love. Let's pray.